get it going for a Tuesday. It is midday on the Rural Radio Network, and hope you're enjoying it thus far. Looks like there's some parts of the region that are going to get another real good windy situation going here. And uh, so as we go through the rest of our midday with you today, we'll be filling in some of the uh, gaps on that information. Also, some folks could get a little dusting of snow along the way. When are we going to be able to stop using that four-letter word in our forecast, Susan Littlefield? Fourth of July. (laughs) Yeah, Dewey is nodding. Uh, He's bringing his Minnesota expertise into that. Yeah. You know, because in Minnesota, you you get flip-flops with uh, skate blades, hockey blades, so... (laughs) That's right. You're well, ready you to two, go. You two probably can exchange some pretty good war stories, can't you? Oh, yeah, and I think we have a time or two. Got to love it. Got to love Mother Nature. <laughs> Absolutely. Okay, let's see what the ag team has been putting together for today's midday. You know, that's that's a good point. You talk about this weather, and at 1245, I catch up with Carrie Johnson. She's with Cargill Ag Marketing Services. As we talk about some things that we need to keep in mind when we are getting ready to do some marketing of our grains even before those planters hit the field because as she put it the minute they can get in that dirt they're going to forget about doing marketing and then it's going to be the what ifs and why didn't I so we'll hit more on that at 1245 and also coming up at 117 the Farm Service Agency uh, from the USDA level all the way down to the state level announced that help is there for producers who may have lost livestock. And you have 30 days to report from this weekend's blizzard. But you can, this includes livestock that might have passed away 60 days after this weekend's blizzard. So more information coming up on that at 117. Then on a brighter note, uh, 1219, Bryce catches up with the folks at the Husker Food Connection. It's a huge event at UNL that's... Uh, putting education in the hands of college students on where their food comes from. So we'll have more on that to start out the midday from the Farm Department. Well, we all need to know that and keep it front of the mind. Thanks, Susan. Thank you. And Jason Jorgensen has sports. Looks like the weather will cooperate somewhat tonight in Lincoln at Haymarket Park as Nebraska is scheduled to take on Kansas State in the second of three games between those two old rivals. Uh, the Huskers are able to win the first game between these two down in Kansas. Also, Creighton and Omaha, they'll meet up tonight at TD Ameritrade Park, so hopefully they can get that one in. You know, to tell you how tough it's been in Major League Baseball this year, especially for the Royals, I mean, they've struggled on the field and they've struggled to even get their games in. They were supposed to be indoors yesterday at the Dome in Toronto to play, and then even that game was postponed <laughs> because ice was falling off the nearby CN Tower, and that had punctured the roof oh, yeah. at the Rogers Center. Oh my! So when your game that's supposed to be in a dome is postponed, that's that's tough. I'm going to say. <laughs> so the Royals and Blue Jays will try to play a doubleheader this afternoon. All right, let's see what's going on in business with Bob Brogan. That's about the dumbest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Leave it to Brogan. U.S. stocks moving sharply higher in midday trading, adding to the market's gains from a day earlier. Also, the high court is hearing the internet tax collection case. We don't pay for uh, purchases online as far as sales tax is concerned. That could change depending on the U.S. Supreme Court's decision on this uh, kind of a landmark case. All right. All this and more coming up on today's Midday Program. Time to take a look at our ag weather brought to you by Coleman Repair. And uh, let's find out what our windy weatherman has to say today. 
Well, it's rather windy in central portions of Colorado to the south of Colorado Springs. They've got wind gusts of 60 to 70 miles per hour. The highest one we've seen so far is 73 mile an hour wind gusts near Colorado City. Oh, my heavens. And some of those strong winds headed towards southwest Nebraska, northeast Colorado, and northwest Kansas as the day goes on. And temperatures already warmed up to 75 in Fort Morgan, Colorado. Look at those differences in temperatures between Fort Morgan at 75 and, what, 35 at Sydney or thereabouts? Yeah. yeah, 45 at Sydney right now, yeah. My heavens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Man, that's a huge difference, and that explains quite a lot about what we can expect, doesn't it? Yes, it's all thanks to a warm front lifting north right now. Temperature is expected to be warmer today with an increase in clouds and also that wind as that area of low pressure lifts the warm front right to about the Nebraska-Kansas border. We do have those much milder readings over Kansas in the upper 40s and low 50s. The same thing over northeast Colorado. Also southwest Nebraska in the mid to upper 40s but then temperatures towards the low 40s into central and east Nebraska. Winds today expected to gust to up to 60 over northwest Kansas and northeast Colorado. Then tonight, those strong winds will move a little bit farther to the east and gust to 60 along its southwest of a line from Arapahoe to Osborne, Kansas. Rain chances also increase with that area of low pressure tonight as it tracks along the Nebraska-Kansas border. Rain totals look to be light with this system since it is a quick mover. A few thunderstorms are possible initially this evening. Some snow may mix in on the backside later tonight in northern areas, probably closer to Highway 92 and maybe at most leave a light dusting. The big story with this system will be the very strong winds out of the northwest later tonight into tomorrow. Many other areas expecting some wind gusts up to about 45 later tonight into the day tomorrow. We'll be in between systems on Thursday. That will be nice and dry for that day. A better chance of mostly rain. Maybe mixed with some snow arrives Thursday night into Saturday. It should be mostly rain. But forecast models with this system now trending those rain chances farther south as they are now expecting that low to track across the Oklahoma-Texas border. The overall highest rain chances with this system favor Friday evening into Saturday morning. Now, if you have tickets to the spring game, you may want to hold on to them because the weather forecast is improving from what it was yesterday. Right now, the outlook is mostly cloudy skies in Lincoln, a small chance of rain for the game, and temperatures around 48 at kickoff, warming up to about 54 and just a southeast wind in 11. So not too bad for game day weather for the spring games on Saturday. Now, Sunday and Monday, looking dry as that area of low pressure departs with the slight warming trend. In our long-term forecast, temperatures start Cooler than normal early next week in Nebraska and Kansas. Looks like a better opportunity to get in the fields, arriving with temperatures warm quickly to above normal late next week through the end of the month in both Nebraska and Kansas. There could be some slight problems in getting in the field when the precipitation outlook for Nebraska and Kansas calls for near normal to slightly above normal precipitation Monday through the end of the month. Soil temperatures remain low this morning at 7 and 4 inches down. Soil temperatures remain in the low 30s along and north of I-80. Between I-80 and I-70, those soil temperatures in the mid to upper 30s to the south of I-70, soil temperatures in the low to mid 40s. Weather headlines grabbing the attention of the market include continued field work delays from wet and cold conditions on the Midwest and promising rain chances for the Southern Plains wheat areas. A new storm emerging from the western U.S. will result in some additional snow the middle of this week across the Northern Plains and Upper Midwest. That precipitation and cold spring temperatures will keep the field work 
and a standstill for a while longer. A slow warm-up and a storm track well to the south may allow conditions to improve somewhat about 10 days out. Rain may form again during the final weekend, though, of April and cause new delays. Among Midwestern states, Missouri led in delays with only 4% of its intended corn acreage planted. That's well behind their average of 18%. A system will arrive across the High Plains Friday with some of the most promising and significant precipitation in about six months for the drought-stricken central and southern High Plains wheat areas. Total rainfall in those areas may reach one to two inches. That'll be pennies from heaven falling from them. Today, an extreme risk of wildfires is returning to the southern half of the High Plains due to hot, windy weather, extremely low humidity, and also drought and freeze-cured grass and brush for them. Okay, so we're going to have you go over where those red flag warnings are again. We'll remind everybody that uh, for today, your uh, ag weather has been brought to you by Coolman Repair. What's most at risk here today for fire? Looks like western Kansas on into the northwest corner of Kansas and the southwest corner of Nebraska, but definitely into southwest Kansas, that high fire danger with the warmer temperatures and, of course, the uh, strong winds starting to move in. It's already 82 in parts of southwest Kansas wow. towards Hugenton and looks like 85 right now in Elkhart, Kansas, already. So those winds are coming in. Which direction and in which traffic is going to be most affected? Uh, generally out of the southwest and then... Those winds gradually turn you to the northwest on the backside of that low as it moves across the Nebraska-Kansas border. But it's very strong, the quick-moving system. All right. So that doesn't look very good for I-76 into Colorado and 70 into those areas in western Kansas in particular. Everybody take it easy out there and take it safe when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. progress is frozen. I'm Jaylee Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network as we take a midday look at your ag news. Cold, snowy weather across much of the Midwest and Northern Plains kept farmers from making much progress on corn planting last week. And that's according to USDA's latest weekly crop progress report that was issued yesterday afternoon. As of Sunday, April 15th, only 3% of the U.S. corn was planted, up just one percentage point from the previous week and behind the five-year average of 5%. Meanwhile, there was both good news and bad news for the winter wheat in Monday's report. The good news was that the percentage of the crop rated in good to excellent condition was up one percentage point from 30% the previous week to 31% last week. And the bad news was that the percentage of the crop in very poor to poor condition increased two percentage points from 35% the previous week to 37% last week. And speaking of weather, southeast Nebraska escaped last weekend's snowstorm for the most part. Even so, the ground is not ready for spring planting yet. Bruce Gorder has the story. Steve Johnson is the DeKalb Asgro agronomist for southeast Nebraska. He says not much snow there, but the ground temps are way too cold for seed germination at this point. Really, in the month of April, we haven't got any growing degree days uh, accrued. Uh, but we can catch up in a heartbeat. Uh, who knows what May is going to throw at us, and and I wouldn't change a change a thing in the plan. And you know our yield potential is still way up there, and and uh, into middle of May we're still in the upper 90s on yield potential. So I'm not too darn concerned about it yet. I just I like anybody else. I, I like to get see things uh, get to rolling and and uh, get a few things done. Johnson also said it is way too early to think about changing seed varieties and hybrids. That's Steve Johnson, DeKalb Asgrow Agronomist for Southeast Nebraska, and I'm Bruce Gorder on the Rural Radio Network. 
And in other ag news, while most of the focus on the House Farm Bill is on changes to nutrition programs, some new changes have cropped up to farm programs that would benefit LLCs, S-corporations, and farmers who want to enroll cousins, nieces, and nephews for commodity payments. The changes, if they become law, would expand the eligibility of pass-through entities for farm program payments to include limited liability corporations and S-corps as a way to avoid adjusted gross income caps for commodity payments. Currently, joint ventures and general partnerships are not subject to payment limits or income means testing. New language would expand those provisions for LLCs and S-Corps. The House Agriculture Committee convenes Wednesday in Washington, D.C. with Chairman Michael Conaway, a Republican from Texas, seeking to advance the farm bill over objections from Democrats who are especially critical of the bill's language tightening job and training requirements for people on the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, as well as capping eligibility nationally to families earning up to 133% of the federal poverty line, $32,319 for a family of four. The House bill also broadens the definition of family farms eligible for commodity payments to include first cousins, nieces, and nephews. They'd be eligible for farm program payments as long as they can show they contribute to farm management decisions. And finally, the U.S. Grains Council, the Renewable Fuels Association and Growth Energy and their member organizations are welcoming the news today that the Japanese government's new biofuel policy will allow imports of ETBE made from U.S. corn-based ethanol. Japan will now allow U.S. ethanol to meet up to 44% of a total estimated demand of 217 million gallons of ethanol use to make ETBE or potentially 95.5 million gallons of U.S. produced ethanol annually. You can find more on that at ruralradio.com. You're listening to Ag News on the Rural Radio Network. Helping UNL students develop a better understanding of how food is produced. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskett reporting. Husker Food Connection is back at the University of Nebraska-Lincoln this year, continuing to serve the mission of educating consumers. Agriculture-based clubs at UNL work to organize the event. Checkoff and agriculture groups alike help make the event possible by sponsoring the event and food. Amanda Kabaleski is a UNL student and one of the lead organizers this year. She describes the objective and the details of the event. So Husker Food Connection is a way to bring um, agriculture to city campus. Uh, it's the more urban campus, so we want to start that conversation about where your food comes from, what agriculture is, kind of dispel some of those um, myths surrounding agriculture. Um, so we're serving lunch today, and we have all these lovely people here to kind of talk to students about agriculture. Let's talk about the different exhibits here and what each of their purpose is as well. Yeah, so we have all of the different commodity boards here, um, as well as some um, East Campus clubs and organizations. Um, some Nebraska farmers and ranchers here um, all talking about specifically what they're interested in. So the Beef Council is talking about you know beef and the Nebraska Dairy Association talking about their dairy calf here. Uh, the pork producers have pigs, uh, poultry with their chickens. Um, we got the wheat board serving cookies and um, the tractor restoration club talking about these giant tractors behind me. So The event is hosted on UNL's plaza outside the city union where students traditionally don't see live animals and tractors. I asked Amanda what the students' reaction is to seeing and learning more about where their food comes from. A lot of it is kind of surprise. You don't expect to see a tractor or a calf right on campus um, in the middle of Lincoln. Um, so a lot of it's surprise, but then they're asking a lot of questions. You know, why are uh, these animals here? What's going on? Um, and then they're really asking questions about, you know, what's agriculture? Um, how do we raise animals? Um, how do we get 
food from the farm to the table, um, questions like that. So it's a really good way to start that conversation and um, just interact with consumers. For David Schuler, a UNL student and another lead organizer of Husker Food Connection, he echoes Amanda's response. It's all about communicating the story of agriculture. So I'll rattle off a couple facts for you. Um, people around the urban areas are three generations removed from the farm, and 3% of the world feeds the other 97%. Um, with that being a disconnect, we want to be, as producers, responsible and show people what we do, educate how we produce our food safely and humanely for everyone for the other 97%, and that's why we're here today. So as I'm here by this baby calf, to see their faces and smile of the cuteness and seeing how well we take care of them with the feed and shelter that we provide that I'm under right now, they see the actual work that gets put in, the safety that we put into these animals, as well as seeing that the animals are happy seeing the reactions, the smiles put on their faces, and the satisfied look that they have, as well as getting a free lunch by Skeeter Barnes, it all makes sense at the end of the day when they walk away. David talks more about the planning process that goes into this event. So I'd really like to thank the UNL community, the union staff, as well as the university for allowing us to put this on. A lot of paperwork needs to be done, a lot of logistical information. We put together a Husker Food Connection board this year that everyone had a representative from each club and every commodity organization, and we came together as a whole to come up with the answer of how to put this event on, how to get the paperwork done, how to get the volunteers here, and the food that we provide for the consumers. Anything else you want to add, David, that we haven't talked about yet? I'd like to thank everyone for helping first for volunteering, and I want to thank the commodity organizations for their funding and the Nebraska Ad Producers and AFAN for their responsibility of logistical information. So thank you to all of them, and I hope to everyone shows up and had a good time today. Husker Food Connection will continue on through the afternoon until 3 o'clock. For more of our coverage from the event, you can log on to ruralradio.com. Broadcasting in Lincoln, Nebraska, from the University of Nebraska-Lincoln, I'm Bryce Duskett on the Rural Radio Network. You're listening to Midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time to check sports. Here's Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, the Husker baseball team is back in action tonight as they'll take on Kansas State. Now, they split Friday's home doubleheader with Iowa and were able to knock off Kansas State earlier this year. Now, the weather has cost the Huskers some games, and head coach Darren Erstad says that's been tough. Not ideal, that's for that's to say the least, and especially when you miss four common opponents. Uh, you know, when you're trying to make tournaments and, and trying to get seedings right and all that stuff, it's just, uh, I, and I don't have the answer. Erstad made his comments last night on the Huskers Sports Network. First pitch tonight at Haymarket Park is set for 635 in Lincoln. Creighton and Omaha is set to meet at TD Ameritrade Park. The Blue Jays were swept at St. John's over the weekend, while the Mavericks won 8-5 at Western Illinois on Friday. That one begins at 6.30. Toronto's taking to the field for the first time since Friday, following a pair of postponements at Cleveland over the weekend, and then last night's postponement of their home game against the Royals. They get this, even though the Blue Jays play in a dome, the decision was made to postpone the game after chunks of ice crashed down from the nearby CN Tower and then punctured the roof at Rogers Center. The teams will play a doubleheader this afternoon. NBA playoffs continue tonight with Toronto hosting Washington. It's Milwaukee at Boston and Portland will host New Orleans. In the NHL playoffs, Columbus is hosting Washington. It's Winnipeg and Minnesota and Vegas. They'll visit L.A. Former Dallas Cowboy receiver Dez Bryant has expressed interest in continuing his playing career for another team in the NFC East. One team that he appears to be interested in is the New York Giants. Bryant told 247sports.com that it would be fun to play also for the L.A. Rams after they reached the playoffs last season for the first time in 12 years. Bryant was released by the Cowboys last week after playing eight seasons in Texas. And Ford is bringing its Mustang to NASCAR's top series for the first time. The American automaker said today that the 
Mustang will replace the Fusion in the Monster Energy Cup Series beginning next February at Daytona. Now, this will be Ford's fourth cup model in NASCAR's modern era since 1972, joining the Thunderbird, the Taurus, and the Fusion. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More of Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. A chance of showers and thunderstorms through the night tonight with a slight chance of snow late in the northeast part of the state. The overnight lows in Nebraska ranging from 30 to 36 degrees. I'm Dave Schroeder. A candidate for Attorney General of Nebraska has been accused of choking his father during an attack at the home he and his parents shared in Omaha. Court records say 51-year-old Evangelos Van Erigus is charged with felony strangulation. He told the Omaha World Herald that he's innocent. Erigus is a lawyer and the sole Democrat seeking the post held by Republican Doug Peterson, who's also seeking re-election. The records say Erigus's 82-year-old father, Andreas, told police his son accused him April 8th of taking money from Andreas's wife and repeatedly punched his face. Andreas says he kept his son from grabbing a knife but couldn't stop him from choking him with both hands. Andreas Erigus told officers he ran to a neighbor's home when his son let go of his neck. Custer Public Power District linemen continue to whittle away at uh, power outages and repairs, along with the help from Dawson Public Power District crews. General Manager Rick Nelson says Custer Public Power District covers 8,000 square miles, and the storm's damage was scattered. We saw damage from you know, in that Stapleton area uh, all the way up to Taylor, and if you drew a line in that direction and then went south, you know, there's pockets uh, pretty much all over Litchfield, Hazard, uh, Callaway, uh, Arnold, uh, between Arnold and Stapleton, uh, Sergeant, Taylor. There's not one area that got real hit real hard, but there's these little pockets all over that really took a beating. Nelson says it's possible some storm damage to Custer Public Power District poles and equipment could qualify for state and federal assistance, but dollar estimates of the damage aren't available yet. Kansas Governor Jeff Collier has signed a bill that will require people who are trying to influence his office and judicial branches to register as lobbyists. The measure Collier signed also requires people trying to promote contracts or influence actions to disclose some spending. Previous Kansas laws required lobbyists to report some spending when they seek to influence legislators or work for or against an administrative rule. The bill also increases the total value of small gifts that state officials can accept in a year from an individual to $100 from $40. Our app is a perfect companion to your phone. Download it free in the App Store or in Google Play. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. Once the frost is out of the ground, the planters will roll. But how about your marketing? Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Carrie Johnson is a Cargo Ag Marketing Service product line leader. Her and I talked about the need to have a marketing plan in place. But more important, don't forget those hidden and forgotten costs as well, especially as you get ready to start planting. That's a really good point. Um, So, you know, as you and I just spoke about briefly before is once once those planters roll you know growers aren't going to have time to look back at their marketing plan so now is a good time to really get that foundation set um so you know first thing is we talk about the cost of production and a lot of folks 
um, you know, can give give you pretty close just off the cuff. But a couple of pennies here and there in today's market matter. And so really getting detailed on that cost of production, you know, and, and remembering to include things like electricity payments for your barn or your grain bins, um, you know, interest payments on any lines of credits, your equipment loans, insurance payments, and not just crop insurance, but your vehicle or even your own personal health insurance. And the one thing that we, we see that gets missed the most is, you know, don't forget to pay yourself. Um, you need to live. You need to take care of your family. Make sure those are, are baked into your cost of production. Then that cost of production, right, that's what gets us to our break-even levels. And then we can start having a conversation about price estimates and, and profits. So once you kind of get that started penciled out, and like you said, the, the hidden and forgotten things that they, they overlook, how do they move forward? Once they've got a base idea, how do they move forward to consider it and, and help them out to be a little bit more profitable? Yep. So um, use that cost of production, you know, calculate, calculate your break even and, and use that kind of as your anchor point for price estimates. Now, to be in this business, we have to be be optimistic. Um, however, we also have to be realistic with the carryouts that we're still looking at today. Um, but that's what can kind of give you your your baseline of, of where to put some price targets out at. And then we really encourage people, and I can't say this enough times, use offers to trigger action. So you've got price points that, um, that are profitable for you and your farm. Put some offers out there and don't move them, even if it's just for one truckload. That then forces you to have that conversation of if that price target hits, do you want more sold at that price point or, or selling into the deferred? You know, the farmers are expertise in so many different areas. They wear so many different hats. But sometimes when it comes to doing the marketing of that product, they've got such an emotional tie to it. Good idea to have that third party to, to step in and, and look at what they're doing and, and how they're marketing? You know, obviously I think so. And just like you would a financial advisor. And there's a couple other reasons why I think it's important. Um, is one, we also talk to our growers a lot about your risk tolerance. <clears throat> and there's a lot of tools out there from, you know, embedded cash contracts, what's happening on the spot market, you know, what's available in a brokerage account. And so there's a lot of tools and helping have, having someone to help you walk through what tool is best for you and your willingness and ability to take risk and for your farm can can be really important to long-term success. You know, Carrie, there's so many outside market influences this year compared to last year's growing season. You know, where we're sitting with NAFTA, TPP, all those different factors. What are some other things that they need to be kind of thinking about as they get ready to market that grain, even before it's in the ground? Um, very good points. So kind of my one of my other points we talk about is, is like you said, there's a lot of things we can't control uh, and that we don't know. So we, we as farmers, we're price takers from what's happening on the Chicago Board of Trade. Uh, so we really encourage our growers to understand their local market and their local grain flow. Are you by processors? Are you by ethanol plants? Um, and, you know, if you're in a wheat space, do you have any mills nearby? You know, what's, what's the effect of the export pull? Really understand that local market. Understand the seasonality. And this is where, you know, an advisor who works in the community can be helpful as well. Because um, you can help, you know, pick up some additional value in an area that um, is more immediate to you. And we know once those planters are in the ground, they're not going to be looking at markets. They need somebody that's going to be there to help them along so they can focus on getting the crop planted. That's exactly right. This is what we do day in and day out. Um, so 
Cargo Ag Marketing Services. We have 40 advisors across the Corn Belt and all the way down the river. We have risk managers that sit here in the office in Minneapolis. It is literally what we do all day, every day. Um, and so um, it should be our area of expertise. What's one takeaway from everything that you really want producers to keep in mind for this planting season? Well, beyond stay safe, um, we also know once planters roll, um, gets to be some really long days, so don't forget to take care of yourself and, and your family and your workers around you. Um, and then I'm just going to come back to, I said this before, but use offers. Put offers out there. That is the one thing um, that I think can really help growers stay on track. And we've all been there, right? You know, um, you want $10 beans, but then that gets there. And it's hard to pull that trigger. Where if you've got offers set out there, it can really force force you to have that conversation and, and force that action. And, of course, if they want to maybe talk with you a little bit more, Carrie, on ways that they can, as you put it, pull that trigger, how do they do that? You can find us at mypmm.com. My conversation with Carrie Johnson, Cargill Ag Marketing Service Product Line Leader, as we talked cost production effects of unpredicted spring has had on our producers. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Back on the Rural Radio Network, let's get a review of today's livestock futures trade with Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe. Yeah, kind of a choppy, uh, slow day uh, in the uh, livestock futures. We're going to finish uh, mixed uh, to, to uh, a little bit higher. Uh, very uh, choppy trade, though. Uh, we started out... Uh, looking uh, like we were going to really uh, go for a run on the upside but in the cattle, but uh, then it kind of faded during the day. haven't heard of any uh, specific trade uh, uh, taking place, so that kind of uh, took the wind out of the sails. The cutouts were higher, uh, but that didn't seem to uh, uh, change much, and, and uh, we kind of uh, fell off during the session, going to finish mixed. Uh, but it was a positive day. Uh, and same way with the feeders. The nearby feeders uh, were a little bit lower, uh, trying to uh, stay with the index, which is climbing, but uh, uh, got some bare spreading uh, taking place in the feeders. Over in the hogs, the cash a little bit firmer, but the uh, front end of the hogs uh, a little bit lower and the back end a little bit higher. And I think that's uh, mainly because we're carrying so much premium there. And uh, the uh, cutouts at noon were uh, a little bit higher, so things look on the positive side. At least uh, it's happening in the cash, but uh, the futures already had anticipated this, so I think that's the reason for the uh, uh, slow uh, trade. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Total cattle slaughter first uh, two days this week estimated at 236,000, thousand less than last week. Hog slaughter, 932,000, 31,000 more than one week ago. This is the Rural Radio Network. The USDA is set to help producers losing livestock because of the recent blizzard. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Sarah Heitzig Krager is a specialist with the Farm Service Agency in Lincoln. She talked to me about LIP and ELAP and what's available to the producer. That is correct. The, the two main livestock programs that are out there that would help producers in this type of situation would be the Livestock Indemnity Program, which would probably be the main program, and then the 
Emergency Assistance for Livestock, Honeybee, and Farm-Raised Fish Program. We call it the ELAP program, but also help cover any losses that aren't covered underneath the LIP program. Is there also stuff, I was reading that there's stuff for trees, there's stuff for honeybees, so really a wide variety of disaster assistance that's available. There is. Um, for trees, there's the tree assistance program, which we call TAP. And then for honeybees, that's part of the ELAP program. And ELAP also covers if for some reason we have farm-raised fish that are in these affected areas, that ELAP helps cover losses for farm-raised fish also. So with this recent blizzard and if there were losses by farmers and ranchers within Nebraska, what are the steps that they need to do as a producer to be able to apply and get assistance from you guys? The first step that they need to do is when they know they had a loss is to contact their county office and let their county office know that they had a loss and what kind of kind of livestock they had a loss in just to give them our county offices an idea. And they can do that by phone, by fax by email, by stopping in the office and just saying, I had a loss due to this weather event and the dates that it occurred on. And that's what we really need to know within the first 30 days of the loss becoming apparent. And so these losses can also happen up until 60 days after this weather event if they were a direct result of these weather events. So they really have about a, a... a 30-day time period, but depending on when their loss becomes apparent, gives them up to a a 90-day time period. What type of documentation? Do you need pictures? Do you need to prove that the livestock were lost? So for documentation, we really have what we consider two types of documentation. There's verifiable documentation or reliable documentation. So verifiable documentation is documentation that we can sort of verify through a, a third a third party. So rendering truck receipts that would have show the livestock's weight, kind, and type on them could be considered verifiable. Um, veterinarian records, if a veterinarian comes out and posts the animals for the producers, that could be considered verifiable. There's a whole bunch of other types of records, but the, the key with verifiable records is that they can be verified through a third party. Reliable records are more in the line of contemporaneous producers' records that they're marking down that they had 10 die on this day, and even pictures with um, dates on them help become verifiable and reliable records. In conjunction with those records, though, we need beginning inventories. And depending on if they provide us verifiable records or reliable records for the death loss, depend makes the determination if those beginning inventories need to be verifiable or reliable. So, for example, if a producer would give us verifiable death loss records, they would only need to provide us reliable inventory records. And producers, if you have any questions about what type of documentation that is needed to make that claim file with the FSA, just contact your local FSA office. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Dewey Nelson on the World Radio Network. Corn finished the day lower, wheat and soybeans higher. As we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Corn yesterday went to a weaker close as well and kind of tested that 20-day moving average. What was the story behind the market moves today? Oh, boy. Tough day to describe uh, the lack of action we saw. Really... 
very slow, low volume, you know, down pretty much all morning and then did, did come back into the close. I think we're, we're just essentially seeing the U.S. Uh, move away from being the cheapest offers right now on the export markets. That combined with the delivery approaching, you know, folks are going to have to decide whether they're going to store or, or, uh, or uh, price bushels here. So that, I think, is keeping a little on the price offers for the U.S. I wouldn't be shocked to see this thing fall maybe into the 375 area. But this is all opportunities, I think, for the summer rally you got to prepare for. This is going to be the theme that I'm going to be talking about really for the next four months, really two months really. But uh, the value of new crop corn is going to be based a lot on yield. I mean, we, we have a smaller supply than we thought a year ago. But still, to get the market really turning higher in the shorter run, we're going to need a story coming out of the U.S. weather uh, that will really affect yield. And I don't think the planning story is quite it yet. John, the intermediate-term trend for soybean meal also remains pretty bullish, isn't it? Yeah, it's the same story, though, in corn. We are now not the cheapest offer anymore. Soy meal from Brazil is about a couple bucks below where the U.S. is at the ports. Um, even our, our massive crush will, will continue to incentivize the buying of beans, but I expect to see some slowing of exports here in the next couple of weeks. I think that's one thing the trade is disappointed in is we're not getting any of these more morning flash sales anymore uh, for corn or soybeans. So shorter term, you know, I think we're probably more sideways, the range bound, maybe even a little bit to the downside. I wouldn't be shocked to see these run down and test four dollars, but uh, you know, with beans, eh, maybe ten twenty. Uh, but again, to really break the market, you're going to have to start talking about significant supply, and then we're still months away from that. And in Kansas City, wheat futures testing that five dollar mark in the July contract, but. Uh, we need to get above that 20-day moving average to be positive, don't we? Yes. Yeah, I think that's that's the next target goal. And I, I think, you know, the more we get closer to the weekend, the more they're taking uh, now rain out of the forecast in that western Kansas area. So uh, I think that's the big theme here. We'll, we'll go into next Monday and the crop tours at the end of the month. And if things haven't gotten better as far as moisture goes, I expect the markets to make another run to the upside. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. Check out the website as well, danielsagmarketing.com. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.